Hi, this is Kira Buckland, voice actress for some of your favorite anime and video games. Please enjoy this episode of the Anna Monday podcast, a randomized anime experience. Welcome to the Annie Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Welcome back. Thanks for joining. Not like you have anywhere else to be right now. Yeah. Welcome to our home, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Hope you're uh, staying safe out there and uh, are coping well. Yeah. And uh, hope this podcast helps you out a little bit, whatever that means for you. <laughs> I don't know if this particular episode will help, but... We'll see. We'll see. It didn't help us. <laughs> on our last episode, we hit the random button on Crunchyroll, and the terminal revealed to us the secret of a show called Shinsekai Yori, or From the New World. Shinsekai Yori began as a novel originally published in 2008. There was a manga adaptation from 2012 to 2014, and finally, a 25-episode anime series by A1 Pictures in 2012. And we watched the first four episodes of that anime series. All right, Kayla, you want to share the plot with us? Humans have developed telekinetic powers that will forever alter civilization and the world they inhabit. Two millennia in the future, five young students are about to discover that their peaceful world has been hiding a dark and violent reality. I just want to take a moment and say that's the first time I've never had to do a redo. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One take. Yeah, I mean, this is a very complex show. Yes. Uh, as we discovered in the first few episodes, they threw a whole lot of information at us. So paring that down to a kind of blanket summary is difficult. Yes, very much so. I really struggled. But essentially, this show starts in the year that it was produced in around 2011 but the majority of the show takes place 2,000 years later, like you mentioned. And uh, unlike a thing like My Hero Academia, where people develop certain powers and things generally work out okay because the majority of people are working for the betterment of humanity, that is not what appears to have happened here. Unfortunately, a very realistic take on the world. Mm -hmm. uh, as a result of people getting these tel telekinetic powers, uh, they basically ruin civilization, and uh, enough people are using them for selfish gain that the world is a mess. But that's not really what we see going into these episodes. What we end up seeing is this very controlled and in some ways kind of idealistic world that these kids inhabit. They are being trained to use their telekinetic powers for what end we don't know um they just seem to be in school mm -hmm. that teaches them generally how to work together and and use these powers like that they have very basic manipulations of objects and things but yeah nothing crazy and we never see the few encounters that we have with adults, we never see any adults use 
powers, really, unless it's a teacher. Right. Uh, Earlier, I think I said 2,000. It's definitely 1,000. Sorry about that. (laughs) The show kind of revolves around these five kids that you mentioned, but more or less our protagonist is one particular character named Saki. And the show kind of starts out with us experiencing her manifesting her her psychic powers for the first time. It seems like it's kind of, in some ways, like puberty. It seems like it's developed around... she She's considered a late bloomer at 12, so right. maybe it's like preteen. Um, but it seems like they just sort of awaken. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like you said, hers are kind of later than most kids, and so her parents are really concerned about this. Uh, and I think that's kind of the first moment you realize that the adults are definitely hiding stuff in this show and the kids are real naive about everything because basically they are freaking out that her powers haven't manifested yet. And when they finally do, they are beyond relieved. And throughout the show, they're kind of setting her up to be this character that can kind of see through some of the the veil that the adults are putting in front of them. Mm-hmm. There's not really a reason for this. It kind of just happens in a, she shows up at the right place at the right time. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And so she's, she's the focused lead of this ensemble cast because she's the one that a lot of the information about the world is kind of coming through. Yeah, one one of those particular scenes is that we see her, I guess before her powers manifest, her parents are having a discussion in hushed tones about how they've already lost one child, and if her powers don't manifest soon, it's going to be very bad. Which she is unaware that they had lost a child. Right. Uh, in fact, like the the whole idea that kids can't go to school until their powers manifest makes it pretty clear that they don't have school for people who don't have powers. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't have powers, you are removed from society. Whether that means that they kill you off or they hide you away somewhere, we don't know. Yeah, they have some sort of like entry level while we're waiting for you to find your powers school. But it's strange. They haven't explained this part, but kids seem to be unaware of the other kids that go missing. Right. So when a kid suddenly just stops showing up to school, they have maybe a first acknowledgement of it. Like, oh, this person isn't there anymore. But then they just never address it or talk about it or think about it ever again. None of the students seem to have any sort of emotional connection to somebody that they used to be friends with right. and they were close to that suddenly just gone. Yeah, the the school and I guess really the adults in general have ways of explaining away things that happen, most of them revolving around various kinds of monsters that are present in this world who take care of issues like that. Uh, but... There seems to be some kind of psychological manipulation in the fact that they physically don't remember these things at some point. Yeah, and there's a brief couple mentions of hypnosis 
happening. There's this sort of ritual that happens right at the beginning of the first episode. And in one of the later episodes, they just mentioned that it's like, oh, it's like hypnosis, Mm -hmm. just like that ritual that we all went through. And it's like, well, hold on. One, not how hypnosis works. But two, like you're aware that you're being hypnotized and everyone seems to be cool with it. Uh That's weird. Yeah. I'm sure they'll explain it later, but. Yeah. Uh, in addition to like the little games that they play to kind of work on their powers and just little like manipulation techniques that they learn, there are also history lessons at this school, which are fishy at the very <laughs> best. Yeah, they're kind of they're kind of like Aesop fables. It doesn't really seem like the history is, you know, on this date, this thing happened. And now we're remembering it because it's significant in some way. They're definitely more stories, like cautionary tales. Mm -hmm. They remind me of things like the Grimm's fairy tales, like probably more in that vein because they are pretty dark stories. Yeah. I mean, through these lessons, we specifically hear about ogres and karmic demons as some sort of creature that happens because you behave badly. Yeah. uh, As kind of a... A behavioral modification lesson. So something that I'm sure if you haven't already guessed is that this show has a lot of information dumping. I mean, these are just pieces of things that are just piled on and just constantly being revealed. There's a lot of world building that's happening in this show. And from from what I can tell, it is not going to end anytime soon, Um, which kind of makes me think like, you know, most of the time I don't like when shows, you know, really drag out a story. I felt like this show could have had another season or something because there is just a constant flow of information going. There are really rare moments where we get to experience the characters without them revealing something that we need to know. And it, it's kind of this gaslighting thing where you feel like, okay, I have the information. Now I know like where this world is going and now I can focus on the characters and then another information dump. And it's kind of exhausting. Yeah. It's also really hard to do on subtitles. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, just in these few episodes, we learn details, very complex details about six different kinds of creatures. Uh, Each of these having their own, like, societies, their own histories, their own, uh, like, effects that happen when you meet them or interact with them, and what they look like and and how they form, and all of these just very deep details about monster rats, impure cats, ogres, karmic demons, false minishiro, and balloon dogs, all thrown at you in four episodes. Uh, And then different kinds of psychological effects are tossed at you, like attack inhibition and death feedback. And all of these things pile on top of each other. Each requires the knowledge that you previously learned about different monsters and different effects. And that all with kind of the basis that this is our world, but it's much later in the future. So there's history that you don't know. And people are different than they were a thousand years ago. It's it's kind of overwhelming. 
Yeah, and if all of this information wasn't enough, I mean, they're still putting in the history lessons. Like, some of the first parts of at least a few of the episodes is explaining different events that have happened in the time between our present day and the show's, like, present day. And so there's a lot to keep track of. And this is also compiled by the fact that there are five characters that we are actively following at the same time. Right. Who each have very complex and changing relationships with each other. Yeah. And and so there's there's just a lot. There's a lot that they're cramming into this 24 episode format that is hard to digest so quickly. Right. And like more or less all of this extraneous detail that they seem to be cramming into that short form anime series boils down to things went bad a thousand years ago. The world split into like different factions. The faction that these kids are in are basically a byproduct of like genetic modification so that they have to be good humans and cannot hurt each other. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of the core concept of the whole show. And it's th- what the kids are discovering as they enter school and start to learn more about the world. And I think that's something that really falls apart for me is that there seems to be a huge disconnect of information. Of the adults know a whole bunch of stuff. Kids don't know anything and they're totally, completely naive within just a short amount of time at school. They are able to uncover the vast secrets of the entire civilization that they live in and everyone just kind of goes about their business. And so it seems like the adults know everything. The kids don't know anything. The kids quickly learn everything. And like, what's the point of all the secrecy and all the weird like manipulation kind of stuff. This is kind of what I mean that I think this story doesn't fit in this short of a format because I think they want me to care about the world and the world building. And because they have made such a diverse world, they want me to be aware of all of these little parts that matter. But they also want me to care about the characters. Right. And there's just not enough time to do both. No. And so if these details with the world building were so important and in a way that, you know, we can't find coding that allows me to understand what's happening without having to have some character just to have some character just exposit all this information, then I really wish that they had spread it out more because it feels like there's something bigger and grander and something that there's just not a lot of coding, you know, naturally for me to to latch onto to say like, oh, I know what this is because, you know, it's something that I understand in my world. Then they should have taken the time to do that and to massage that out instead of trying to pile on this relational building that's happening with this ensemble cast, but also this really different kind of world that they're living in. Personally, I I have nothing written down for characters. It took me the entire length of the four episodes to realize that maybe Saki is kind of the main character 
<laughs> and that's only because we got more information like about her home life and her parents and how she manifested her powers and stuff like that. Um, but otherwise, the the details that we're getting about the world are so dense that you're right. I just I don't know anything about them. And that's kind of what's a shame about this show is that because the pacing is so off, they're kind of presenting Saki as the main character because she's the one that I get all information from. Because she came in later, people explain to her what school is like. But because she's the one that happens to be at the right place at the right time, she's the one that's uncovering a lot of stuff at the same time. And so she's really the only one that I I sort of care about because, well, if I don't have her, then who else am I going to get information from? So when this group of five was actually originally a group of six Mm -hmm. and one of the kids just up and leaves, I hardly noticed it. Yeah. And I don't feel like I cared at all. And maybe that was kind of the point. But I feel like any of these kids could leave except for Saki. And I probably wouldn't miss them a whole ton. Yeah. And I was actually going to mention that as well, that they spent the whole first episode setting up this one friend of theirs who kind of struggled in school. And uh, then they spent the whole second episode with this like game thing that they were doing. Uh, to basically show that kids who socially don't fit in or are having trouble with their powers or seem to be manifesting like negative expressions of their powers, like one hit kid who cheats at the at the game that they're playing, are the kinds of kids who get booted uh, from society and disappear. And end of the first episode, there is literally a narration saying, and this character disappeared and nobody really noticed. And not only was that narration like really weird and jarring because it came from a source that theoretically shouldn't remember this. So why is the person who can't remember it telling me about this? Mm-hmm. But also it was really confusing because I had almost no knowledge of that character and didn't really care. And I think that's what's really challenging about having ensemble casts is that you do need to care about all of them. And that, in a way, is hindered by the fact that we're not taking any shortcuts with the world building. And so there's just, there's literally no time to develop these characters and their personalities and to differentiate them because they they want the personalities to be more subtle. And I can appreciate that, that there's not these sort of like big caricatures of characters except for um except for Satoru who's kind of like the feisty kid. He's the only other one that like stands out just because he has so much like back and forth with Saki that nobody stands out. And so I appreciate that they're not making, you know, these this one's the smart one and this one's the pretty one and this one's the dumb one or whatever. I appreciate that they're not doing that, but because they're trying to make them more subtle in their differences, I can't tell them apart other than some of them have physical characteristics that at least make it a little easier to differentiate them. Yep. Well, uh, let's ditch this complicated story and we'll come back in a bit and talk about production. We're in the home stretch now. 
settle in for a short break and we'll be right back with more anime. kick off our conversation about the production? Sure. I think uh, one thing that we talked about that is pretty striking about this show is the character designs. Uh, And particularly, part of it is their clothing seems unusual. It it definitely has a a kind of old world European kind of look to it. Uh, And I think that's an interesting choice for, you know, this kind of primitive society that is recovering from a thousand years of things being terrible and uh, this weird apocalypse kind of thing that they're in. Years ago, uh, you might have gathered this from our previous episode when we rolled this show. I've actually seen this before. Hmm. And uh, I made it a little bit further in the show, and I'll get to that later. But for the longest time, I had a screenshot saved in my photo roll of Saki wearing these big rose-colored, like, Elton John glasses, basically. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. (laughs) And um, I don't know when I got rid of that photo, but I couldn't find it again. So (laughs) might have to dig through and and see if I can pull that up again. Yeah, I would say it's interesting to see the clothing designs because it seems like the younger the kids are, the more kind of Eurocentric their clothing designs are. But as they get older, they tend to go towards more of what I think of like a traditional Japanese attire. So they have more like kimono looking outfits or yukatas. And there, there's a like semi-religious aspect to the show of like monks and priests Mm -hmm. who kind of wear more traditional Japanese clothing as well. And it's interesting because as the show like goes through the history of how this civilization came to be, you see a resurgence of feudal lords. So there also is this like attire that they're wearing that looks like, you know, hundreds of years ago from now yeah um so the clothing design is kind of in some ways confusing because i think there's a specific sort of mapping that i have in my head about what future attire looks like especially in this kind of like post-apocalyptic sort of world and in this world it's it's very modern which is strange it's It's not like spacey, which is sometimes what we think of when we think of like future things, but it's also not really a throwback to like some sort of traditionalism. It's just sort of, yeah, I I could see kids wearing that today. It's foreign. Yeah. I mean, uh, so even if the like rough era of clothing was the same, it just feels like it came from somewhere else. Mm hmm. And maybe that's part of the point of this, the world having been torn down and then rebuilt, is that it's kind of harking back to, well, these 
these things come back, you know, the way that yeah. style had developed now into what we wear now is it's kind of doing the same thing, but slightly different because the world's slightly different. Yeah. And they, they don't talk much about like who ended up going where after all of this broke down. Uh, so we could be importing all sorts of different sorts of fashion and different timelines uh, in the physical location that these characters are in right now. One thing I did like about the character designs, that's probably uncommon for a lot of anime that we experience, is that for the most part, everyone has realistic-looking features. They're still very much anime. You know, they have the big eyes, big heads. I mean, and they're also children, so they, they look like children. But they all have very natural hairstyles and hair color, which also kind of makes it hard to tell some of them apart. Um, there's an exception with one girl. She has red hair, but red hair is still something that can happen naturally. So I I was kind of appreciative that this world is not trying to look super anime. Um, it is trying to take itself serious with this sort of realism that it has. Yeah, nor is it like, like you said, the typical sort of apocalypse scenario. This isn't wastelands <laughs> and it's not nuclear fallout. Mm-hmm. It's uh, lush jungles and, you know, nice little uh, civilized towns and... More like villages. Villages, yeah. yeah. And, and like characters living and interacting in kind of normal ways, even if it does appear old and primitive. So there's a big thing about the animation that I really feel like we need to talk about, which is the majority of the show has weird lighting to it in that for the majority of scenes, the characters are in shadowed places. So if they're inside, you know, they're, everything's kind of shadowed on them. They walk around in jungles for like a episode or two. So they're always under the tree canopy. There's very few scenes where they're in full light. And there's a part of me that wants to appreciate the like how difficult that must have been to have vibrant characters in shadowed places. And they really want to emphasize that there is a light difference. Not everybody's in this bright spotlight all the time. However... I don't think they did a great job showing the shadows because Mm -hmm. it's sort of this everything either is in shadow or it is in light. And there's not this realistic sort of lighting effect going on where it's both. Most of the time you have shadows and light and it's not just this, well, you're inside so everything's a little bit darker or you're outside so everything's a bit lighter. Mm -hmm. And even in their sunset scenes that they have a couple of them. There's no real change to the lighting that's happening on them. And so it sort of feels false that they're trying to make it look more aesthetically challenging, but they kind of missed it. Mm. Yeah, I can't say I really noticed that stuff. So it'd be interesting to go back and, and specifically look for things like that. The last thing that I have for production elements is that the sound design seems strikingly bad to me. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the mole rat people? Yeah, we'll get to the moles in a second. Uh, first, 
The the music choices for this show are very strange. There's a lot of tonal shifts in this in this series because the kids are, you know, naive and happy and fun, and then they're talking about these monsters and and how scary they are, and then they're encountering these monsters, and there's fights and there's running and and then uh, there's them learning this dark terrible history of their world and being sad and emotional and I don't think any of that is really reflected super well in the music in fact like a good chunk of the show feels like peppy visual novel music Uh, meaning like kind of bad sounding samples on short loops and with no real definable theme or or tone to it, it, it just kind of is there and present in a few scenes. Uh, but the biggest thing I wanted to talk about with the sound design is the mole people. <laughs> uh, there are these creatures called monster rats, which, by the way, definitely, definitely something up with those. They're totally humans, right? They Something. It has to be. It's It's not like, it's not like the giant rats from Princess Bride. Right. It's like implied that a lot of these monsters are either somehow genetically modified in order to accomplish a task like the impure cat is the thing that is supposed to take children away when they're bad. Uh, The monster rats are kind of just servants of the humans because they think they're super cool and powerful. Mm -hmm. But they have human speech. Yes. And so they can kind of not well... But they can speak Japanese, common, with the characters in the show. But to kind of emphasize how bad they are at speaking, they interlace these (laughs) sounds, which I have to assume are some sort of recording of mole rats, Mm -hmm. but sound more like screeching crows or something. And I swear it is one sample for every single mole rat every single time they open their (laughs) mouths. It does not change. There is no inflection or emotion or uh, like any kind of variation whatsoever. It is the same sound over and over every time they talk. (laughs) When we first heard it, we were like, is that a bird? Yeah. Because we have a bird. Mm -hmm. One, our bird was responding to that sound. But also it just just sounded more bird-like. We actually had to look up different sounds. Of moles or rats, mole rats, moles, rats, yeah. all sorts of things, yeah. Uh, and we found that they can kind of make this like weird cry that sounds kind of bird like, yeah. It, it, but it's a panicky sound, like the regular mole screeching that I found did sound like that same kind of sample, uh, but. I only heard those when it was, like, being attacked and running away. Like, it makes a lot of other sounds. When it's, like, content or when it's just, like, hanging out or doing its thing. It doesn't make those noises, which doesn't really seem to match with what's happening with these moles unless they're just always constantly on edge, which they might be. Sure. Seems like a messed up world. But, like, there's a scene where the kids save one of the rats from drowning and... The mole rats are, like, responding to them. Thank you. Thank you, masters, powerful people (laughs) for saving us. And the whole time in the background. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, <laughs> it's bad. It doesn't even like line up with their mouth flaps at all. It just kind of happens sporadically throughout the entire time they're talking. I hate it. It's bad. <laughs> I can tell. Overall, for me, the show really seemed to have a problem with tone. This show has a lot of genres mixed up into itself. So it's sort of this mystery thriller show. It's also this post-apocalyptic slice of life show. And this is kind of what I was mentioning before, is that because it's it has so much to it, it has all of these elements to it, that I think all of them really could work if they were more spaced out. And I think that's why I feel like there's a tone problem is because they're all happening so close together that it feels really jarring to rip me from one genre into another. And I think that all the elements are there for this show to transition from this sort of slice of life into this sort of thriller thing into, you know, with this kind of overall post-apocalyptic world. But because it's just constantly dumping information on me. And I know just because people have talked to me about this show and some of the research that I've done, I know that there's about to be jumps in information, more than one big jump of information. And because of that, I'm I'm kind of weary about what's happening because it feels like I'm just not going to ever be able to catch up with the show in a way that will be meaningful to me to get into it. Because I am going at such a breakneck speed, it's just hard to digest. And I don't want to feel like I need to watch each episode a few times in order to digest it once. Yeah, as I alluded to earlier, this was one of the original Annie Monday selections. And if you don't know about the history of our show, you can go check out Annie Monday Origins Part 1 and 2. Uh, those are previous episodes where we talk about like how this whole thing came about. Uh, but during the original Annie Monday run, when we were just picking shows instead of randomizing, uh, somebody picked this and we all watched it. And there wasn't necessarily like a strict four episode limit back then. So if you just enjoyed it, you could just keep watching. And uh, I remember I probably made it to roughly episode 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Yeah, like you kind of mentioned, I guess partial spoiler. So skip 15 seconds if you care. <laughs> there are a couple of time jumps in this series where the characters get older and you are, you're dealing with the older characters instead of these kids. And after the first one of those, it turned like even more weird and more obtuse and more hard to follow than even this very beginning part. Since I was barely hanging on at that point, I, I just slowed way down once those started happening and eventually just dipped completely. And I remember this sat on my Crunchyroll list for the better part of eight years, probably. And I finally decided I'm never going to watch this again. <laughs> and so then I'm you just, had to. just going to remove it. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> I, I think we've we've kind of hashed it out quite a bit. There, there just feel like a lot of inconsistencies in the world building. 
uh, logical leaps that don't don't add up, and and the naivety of these kids is just really hard to believe, uh, especially when every adult, adult around them seems to know exactly what's going on. So it all just kind of seems pointless that they're indoctrinating kids, but eventually everyone's going to know anyway. So what's the point? And I, I think I agree that the the pace seems weird, and I don't think this anime series format is the right way to enjoy this story. With this coming from a novel, not like a light novel, not a manga, but a book, a full book, I think this might be interesting to read and it might be much better presentation for this kind of material. And so I I would be interested to see what that source material is like more than anything. So it Kind of seems like you've answered this, but I think for clarification, would you watch more of this show? Having been through it before and dropped off and not picked it up again, and then being here again, watching the beginning, making a second decision on if I want to watch more, I think I'm going to have to go with no. I don't necessarily dislike what I'm seeing, but I feel overwhelmed, and I know that it doesn't really get better for me. Uh, as the series progresses, and I want to like it. I tend to like this kind of show, but I don't think the characters are doing it for me, and I think they're overloading world building that is also not doing it for me. I think my default has to be maybe, because what I really want to say is I don't know. I don't have a solid yes-no-maybe answer for this, because... I think like you said, it's not that any of these parts are inherently bad. It's really just coming down to the pacing is that they're taking these things that would be really interesting, maybe in a different format or in a in a show that was lengthened and cramming it into something that is just really hard to digest. And it might help also if I watch the dub of the show because maybe it'd be easier without me having to like stop and read a whole bunch of stuff on the screen and then, you know, continue on with the scene. But I think something that we have not addressed that I think is really important for me to talk about right now is the fact that I can't watch this right now. This show is really unsettling and it's showing some of the worst parts of society. And it's something that right now with Everything that's going on with coronavirus and the world is just changing a lot right now. I can't watch this show because it it makes me fearful for something that, I mean, obviously, we are not going to develop telekinetic powers or anything like that. But I don't really want to see how some big event ends up changing society for the worst. And so I think that's really affecting how I'm experiencing this show is that I'm not ready for this this much stuff and I want it to be okay. I know people like this show because they've told me they like this show. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe maybe I'll go and try and find the source material and see if I can read it. But I'm definitely not going to get into this anytime soon. Yeah, seems reasonable. Okay, let's close the chapter on this and let's hope for a different kind of role. 
Yeah, I mean, in fact, next week we've got uh, pretty exciting news and we'll be able to lighten things up a little bit. Yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> uh, if you heard the uh, new intro and mid-roll uh, clips that we're using for this episode, uh, we have recently uh, been talking to Kira Buckland. Yeah, we uh, asked her for an interview, um, partially just to see, you know, what it's like right now for a lot of voice actors because of quarantine stuff, um, but in part because we just really love the work that voice actors do, and we really, like, we think they live pretty interesting lives, and so it was really fun getting to to talk with her and ask her questions. Yeah, so if you want to hear a little bit from the voice actor who was in uh, JoJo and uh, Cells at Work and a whole, whole ton of fighting video games, uh, and primarily is 2B from Near Automata, uh, check that out next week. And if you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at anamonday.moe. That's anamonday.moe. You can send us questions and comments to podcast at anamonday.moe, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our username is anamondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website. Thanks so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the random button which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week, we'll have a link to the current title on our website and social media, and you can watch what we're watching. And finally, thanks to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show which come from the Senpai EPs available on his Bandcamp and his website and Spotify and all those kinds of places. All right, are you ready to roll? Uh, yes, we have internet this time. <laughs> all right, here we go. Random button in three, two, one. All right, our anime for this week is The Idol Master Cinderella Girls. Uh, the first episode is called Who is the Pumpkin Carriage? Yeah. Who? Who's Who? the Pumpkin Carriage? Uh, I know there's... I don't all... think the Pumpkin Carriage was ever a person. Well, who knows? It was a pumpkin. So uh, there's... I think there's a lot of Idol Master, so I don't know what this particular series is. We might have to go look and see if there's like... If this is a oh. sequel, we might have to go back and look. Because I don't know anything about Idolmaster. Oh, I, I had never heard of it before now, so here we go. Well, it's going to be our first Idol show for Monday. Well, no, we had a Magical Kaori was about idols. Yes, uh, it was. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> they were trying to be idols. It's a magical idols. girl comedy. It's not really about the idol they part. They were trying to be idols. Sure. <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> Either way, that's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Please look forward to uh, our talk with Kara Buckland next week. Yeah, it'll be great. And we'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. On our show, we roll the virtual dice and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Welcome back. <laughs> Sorry, I need a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
first things that popped in my head were real dark, so I have to change tone. 